And there we go, everyone. We are back again for another fantastic conversation on Friday Night Counter-Attack. And we are back, and I'm back, and I finally found out how to change the colours on my LED light. Normally, it's just white, but now I've got a purple hue on me now, so I've not had a tan or anything like that. I'm not looking like Thanos today, but it's just a, a nice little look on, on the screen, I think, which is quite good. And Travis, how are you doing today? We've got some special guests today, right? Are you looking forward to this episode? Yeah, yeah, really looking forward to it. Obviously, first time um, being on the podcast with Jay. Um, recently recorded one with Matt as well, so good to see you again, Matt. But yeah, it'll be a good one today, I think. Nicely done. Matt, how are you doing? Do you want to introduce your podcast for someone who hasn't heard your podcast before? Yeah, I'm good. I'm Matt. Obviously, I did a show with you guys before, so I know Travis. But yeah, my podcast is called Back of the Net Podcast. I'm currently on Twitter, trying to do the little TikTok thing at the moment, little <laughs> reels and that, fun and hard, and uh, Instagram as well. But I put the abbreviation as well, BOTN, just a lot easier for people. Nicely done. I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. And you've got some really good topics of conversation on your social medias about your all-time British eleven, which I may have a reservation or two about, which we'll get to I later on as well, which will be good. <laughs> and again, special guest joining us today, we've got Jay from the Paddock Blues podcast. And the, um, for anyone listening, it's not Chelsea, it's not Birmingham, <laughs> um, it's definitely not Inter Milan, it's actually <laughs> Everton Football Club. So Jay, looking forward to hearing your thoughts on Everton Football Club today. How are you doing, my friend? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, good. Um, just can't wait to get into football, talk about anything but Everton at the moment. Just, That's fine. Uh, that's fine with me. I'm looking forward to not speaking about Everton at the beginning as well, which yeah. would be good fun. <laughs> now, we're definitely going to get to Everton later today and there's a lot to talk about, especially the Merseyside derby and the Chelsea versus Arsenal game, which could potentially be the biggest London derby in years for Chelsea and for Arsenal, respectively, which we will get to later. Um, but yeah, first things first, I'm on a bit of a high after seeing England beat Italy 3-1 at Wembley. It's been great to see how Gareth Southgate is playing Jude Bellingham in this number 10 role. And I'm really excited to see how England have now qualified for the European Championships. And realistically speaking, there's still a lot of questions that need to be asked before we get to Germany in 2024 in the summer. Um, Matt, we've spoken about this previously, and Travis, you and I have been speaking about it today. Jay, I'm going to start with you on your thoughts on the England football team so far. How are you finding watching them? If you do watch them, who are the kind of better players to watch out for? And realistically speaking, is this Gareth Southgate's last chance as England manager to win a trophy? Yeah, to answer that first, yeah, I think it is. Uh, I think for him as well, I think he's only going to have one more sort of diet, crack at a, a tournament and then he'll probably want to move on to better things if if there is one out there for him. Um, I just don't think he can fail. He's probably got one of the best central midfielders in the world right now and he's getting the best out of him, which I think... Shout out Conor Gallagher. I love him. I love oh, him. He's doing, he's doing great. <laughs> no, I know you meant you, Bellingham, obviously, but... I was talking uh, about Tom Davis. Oh my days, under <laughs> 23, Tom Davies. Was he in that squad as well? Um, that won the... Yeah, Euros he was, yeah. And now he's at Sheffield United, right? Yeah, well, yeah. there we go. There the grass isn't always greener. Um, Definitely. But now, no, I think he's got to get he's got to get the, players, the best out of these players. He's got an unbelievable squad at his disposal. If he doesn't, then he's failed, unfortunately. As much as people go, oh, well, he got us to a final, he got us to a semi-final. That squad should be winning tournaments, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And Travis, this is where I get to bring you in and I get to really talk about the kind of selection problems that Gareth Southgate has. And we were speaking on our group chat earlier today, more more about not who he picks, but who he kind of leaves out. And we'll get to our predicted 11 later on in the next five, 10 minutes or so. But I kind of want to hear your thoughts. Are there certain players in this England squad that Gareth Southgate continues to play, even though they shouldn't really be playing or even starting in this England side? 
yeah, there's certain players that pop up in the squad every time who, you know, don't really even start for their clubs, never mind, you know, being eligible to start for the national team, really. People like Maguire come to mind, Calvin Phillips as well. John Stones' um, first start of the season yesterday as well. So that was crazy. I never I never realised that, but it actually was his first start. Which goes what, for, for England? For England and for Man City as well. He hadn't been playing for Man City. Since. Yeah, he's, he's been injured all season, hasn't he, to be fair? Mm. But I think, I think that's more justified, even though he's not played for City this season. He's still one of England's best players and he's only not played for City this season because he's been injured. I think if you look at the runner form he had towards the back end of last season, especially in the Champions League, um, he's more than justified coming straight back into the squad. Um, It's just a case of what you do about those other players that I mentioned, like say Maguire, Phillips, because people talk about them not being, you know, their, their selection not being justified, but we've not got a great array of centre-backs right now. Um, Mark Good, he's need... pretty good, I would say. Levi Colwell's coming into it. And I personally think Levi Colwell will be starting for England at the European Championships next summer. He's been one of the bright lights in this poor Chelsea side this season. So in terms of centre-backs, I know Maguire has got the heritage under Gareth Southgate, but for him not really playing, he was quite he was stuttering on the ball yesterday and quite slow from build-up. So I'd happily start Levi Colwell or Harry Maguire. That's just my opinion on that, Travis. Yeah, you need four or five, though, don't you, to be fair? Mm. That, that, that's two that you've just named who are obviously playing very well for their clubs at the moment. But, um, yeah, it's about when you get a little bit deeper past the starting eleven, who's going to fill out those squad places? Yeah, exactly. And, Matt, this is where I get to bring you in as well because, um, realistically speaking, there are some players that are getting onto the bench or, or not even into the squad um, for this England side that we can talk about for days about how great they are, how good they are, but... Is it because Gareth Southgate has his tried and trusted players that Travis said, or is it more along the lines of they're not really going to be fitting into the system? Because me personally, I was a really big fan of seeing Trent Alexander-Arnold in that inverted right back. But I think he could do a job in midfield. And when we get to our predicted 11, I'm sure one or two of you will have a few surprises, but I've definitely got a surprise or two um, in mind. But just to round off that question, Matt, are there any players that you really want to see thrive in this England side that aren't really getting that chance at the moment? Do and don't say, don't say Eddie Nketiah. Please don't say Eddie <laughs> Nah, do you know what? I'm glad Eddie got into the squad because he was playing all right. So I think he deserved that. I'm a big fan of Tomori. I know you mentioned Cole Will, but I look at Tomori, he's had a good start to the season. And he's one of them centre-backs where, all right, he has the odd game. Like last season against Chelsea, he played a bit poor for AC. But I think his quality, that little training video I saw of him the other day against Madison kind of gassed me off. I was like, oh, look at the way he's really on him. And I feel like players like him have to start. Um, and other than that, I think the system is just how it is. You look at the England team now and it is quite balanced. You know, I've, I think out of all the positions, you kind of know nine roughly that should have a place now. But then obviously there's decisions, like you said, Trent midfield possibly, um, the left centre-back. And, you know, what are you going to do with Calvin Phillips as well? So other than that, I think, yeah, it's just a system thing. I don't... Apart from the ones that we've seen in the round squad, Watkins, Wilson, I don't really think we're going to see anyone else really come into the light. Could we get Ivan Tony back after his ban? Do you reckon he's actually going to come back in January with a vengeance to get into that European Championship squad? What do you think, Matt? I think he'll come back with a vengeance, but I just think the way Watkins started the season, I feel like if he finishes it as he started, I don't see the reason why he won't be in it. And I think Watkins kind of gives you that other dimension like that off the defender run and we kind of need that and Tony's not the quickest he can finish but I think what can just gives you a bit more especially in the European Championships 
and is always pressing everyone as well. Something that mm-hmm. Harry Kane was doing really well yesterday for Italy, but it goes to show that even in the Bundesliga, Harry Kane's still learning different things and we're still mm-hmm. seeing new elements of Harry Kane's game, which we saw yesterday, which is great. His hold-up play has always been there, but I'd never seen him press as much as that for England, even just in a qualifier, which is great to mm-hmm. see. Um, but yeah, this is where we get to talk about our predicted starting eleven for the first game of the European Championship. The draw hasn't actually been made, so... Um, I hope everyone's done their homework because with my one, mine's going to, I'll start off with mine because it's quite fun. Um, in goal, I'm going to go for Jordan Pickford. My back four would be right to left. It would be Kyle Walker, John Stones, Levi Colwell, and left back Luke Shaw if fit. My midfield three would be Jude Bellingham, Declan Rice, and Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, I think Trent and Declan Rice would be quite fun to see in that midfield. And we haven't really got a midfielder who can dictate the play because Bellingham's playing further forward. And if we had James Madison, like we've seen, unfortunately, for Gareth Southgate, he plays him on the left. And that is just yeah. not where uh, Madison suits um, particularly well. Then as a front three, I'd go for a front three of Bukayo Saka, Harry Kane and Marcus Rashford um, to literally penetrate defenders and ruin defences because they are on fire so far this season. So that's my... Initial front three from the changes. Um, what well, actually, what changes would you make, Travis, to that one? Or you can just share out your own one, Travis. What we say? Um, I've got a few places, uh, but well, positions, sorry, that are similar. Um, I've, I've also gone for Pickford in goal. Um, I don't see how there's even a, a debate on him being England number one. He's never had, you know, even any comeback of... for that, Matt. Any comeback? Do you know what? <laughs> I want to really defend Ramsdale, but I agree. Like Pickford really hasn't had bad games for England. He's been great in the tournament, so there's no reason to change him at all. Definitely. Yeah, you, you, I just think as good as... I, I do rate Ramsdale, I really do. And as good as he is, you can't drop Pickford for the sake of it. Mm. Um, and like like Matt says, he's, he's never had even a minute of playing bad for England, really. He's always performed well in the tournaments. He's always been one of the top, probably three players in the England squad in terms of performance during the tournament. So yeah, Pickford for me is right in there. Um, I also agree on Stones and Shaw in the back four, but I've gone for Gurhi instead of Colwell. And actually I've gone for Kieran Trippier instead of Walker. Um, in midfield, I've, midfield, I've obviously also picked Rice and Bellingham, but instead of Trent, I've gone for Madison. Um, I think in his natural position um, in the middle of the park, he'd be terrific for for England. Um, part of the reason I'm not watching England at the minute is because seeing Tottenham's best player shunted out onto the left wing for no reason when we've got Grealish, I mean, Rashford. Des- Destiny Odogi had a good game yesterday, though, for Italy. That's all I'm saying. He may have picked up a yellow card, but he played pretty well yesterday mm. in that England game. Anyway, um, <laughs> see, seeing, yeah, seeing Madison on that left-hand side when we've got so many other options who actually playing that position is just so frustrating. And then front three, I've gone for Saka, Kane. And I think my left wing pick, it depends massively on form between now and the end of the season, but I'd probably go for Sterling right now. Oh, okay. Nicely done. My personal opinion for picking Bellingham over Madison is because I'd rather see the best out of Bellingham at a number 10, which is where he's playing at Real Madrid, than the best out of James Madison. He's doing really well for Spurs as well, respectively. Jay, I'm coming to you now, so I'm hoping you've done your homework and I'm hoping you're picking more than one Everton play just for the sake of variety um, in this one as well. So obviously, Everton's number one, England's number one, Jordan Pickford. Are you surprised by how Jordan Pickford has remained at Everton for all these years and not been nabbed up by... Not to be a not to be rude, but like oh, a yeah. club or a, or a better club um, than Everton, respectively. Yeah, of course. Um, it's when you've got a good player playing like that, and you're struggling in the league. You're always worried. You're always looking over your shoulder. So 
when he signed the new some the new deal in the summer, we were shocked. We've got to be honest, we all thought he was out the door. Um, but I take Travis's point uh, without throughout the Evertonians, no one knows why it's a debate. Um, I think it's a myth that he doesn't play well for Everton. He's literally kept us in the league three times. Um, I just I, it baffles me. So for me, it, it's Jordan Pickford all day. I'd probably go Walker, Stones. There's someone which I think you said don't put Everton players in, but I think if he carries on playing the way he's playing and growing, Jared Brantwaite, by the way, is going to be some some footballer. Some, I do I do like him though. I do like him. It's, it's if a he can that carry on. I hope he does. I hope he becomes like John Stones becoming a 50, 60 million pound centre back from Everton. Last yeah. player to watch. If if he's I think the Euros would be a stretch for him. Obviously, I think it would be too too close for him to reach that potential. Um, but I'd probably say Stones could be anyone, couldn't it, really? Um, Maguire, just because I think he trusts him. Mm. And then Shaw, I'd go Rice, Bellingham, Foden. Ooh, I like that. I don't mind that at all. Foden yeah. and Bellingham turning up for years to come as well. Remember, they're both still very young players. Yeah, I think they'll do well together because I think Bellingham's got that part of his game where he will track back and help. I think Foden does as well, but he's sort of a ball carrier. Foden, uh, Bellingham and give the ball to Foden to find that pass. My front three would be Saka, obviously Kane, and I like Grealish, I've got to be honest. I think Grealish on the left. Do you think Grealish has gone down a bit since his move to Man City? Obviously, he's won the treble and has won the Premier League, but um, in terms of the player, when you're looking at the actual player, from watching him at Man City, who's not dribbling as much, he's not taking on defenders as much like he did at Aston Villa, not becoming much of a clutch player like he was at Aston Villa, do you think he's kind of improved his game being at Manchester City? What do you think? I, I think he's, I think he's adapted his game. Um, I think obviously you're going to improve under, in my opinion, the best manager in the world. You're going to improve playing with these players. But I think with Jack Grealish at, at Villa, he was the star boy, the poster boy, going to win his games. Very much like Gerrard at Liverpool. It was all on his shoulders to win football matches where at City he's not. They're not really dependent on him that much because they've got that many match winners. He can play a different way. And I just think, wait, the way Sterling did that, City, when Pep come in, everyone was like, oh, he's out the door. And then he just evolved into this amazing footballer and then obviously got sold. But I think we are yet to see the best of Jack Grealish under Pep. That's fair enough. That's fair enough indeed. And who's going to be um, your team, Matt? So we've heard everyone else's. Are there any major changes for you, especially in goal? What are we, what are we thinking, Matt? Now, do you know what? I'm sticking with Pickford. Like, listen, I'm an, I'm an Arsenal fan. I like Ramsdale as well, but... Pickford, there's no reason why he deserves to be dropped. Like Jay said, even for Everton, he's been good. You know, people can pick up on the mistake against um, Sheffield United and that, but he's done fantastic for them, kept them up many a time. Um, for me, I've gone, for, I've gone with a team where it depends on who you're playing. I feel like with England, it's if you're playing like the better opposition, you do the base of two. But I'm going to do this one based on playing someone like, I don't know, uh, them average European teams. I've gone with Pickford. Um, Carl Walker right back, John Stones. I've gone with Tomori, left centre back. Like big fan of Tomori. Left back, I've gone with what he's doing at the moment. I like the Kieran Trippier thing. I do. I feel like sometimes it depends on the position on the opposition, because sometimes you've got teams that have that winger, the left foot, the left footed guy on the right wing. The so inverted fullback. Yeah. Inverted fullback, yeah, to cut in. So I think Trippier would be good for that. 
Midfielder gone Rice, Bellingham, Madison. Travis will be happy with that one. Um, and I've gone Saka, Kane, Rashford. I just feel like, I know Rashford's not in the best form of United, but I just feel like that three just puts fear into like a lot of teams, like the pace, the power. And like you said, Harry Kane's learning something new at Bayern. And I, I just think we're going to win it. <laughs> we're going to win it, mate. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's coming home finally coming. under Gareth Southgate. But no, nice talk there, everyone, regarding England. And we're going to have to wait until the Malta game, I think, in November for the next international break, which will be great fun for me as a Man United fan because that's my favourite time of season when it's the international break and you don't have to watch Shame. Uh, club football. Yeah, same. We're in the same boat there, Jay, <laughs> which is great. Um, but yeah, going on to our respective clubs, so we'll get on to Manchester United first. And there's big news with Manchester United this week as there could be a new owner at Manchester United for 25% of the stake and it is potentially going to be Sir Jim Ratcliffe and he is the current owner of AS Nice in um, France and is also the owner of Lausanne Sport um, in Switzerland as well. Lausanne Sport in Switzerland was one of his first teams that he had and they were relegated and now they've come back up into the Swiss First League and the Nice team, I think the captain Dante, the former Bayern Munich player, actually spoke up, spoke out about how the ownership was run very, very bad um, last season when he was speaking about it. So in terms of having really, really bad owners for 17, 18 years with Manchester United, it doesn't look any better um, for us as well, which is not great as well. But the ridiculous thing is, it's the fact that the Glazers tried to charge more than double the amount to the, the other parties uh, um, to shake Justin from Qatar. And it goes to show that Money isn't everything and they just wanted control and they wanted power. And there is a boardroom meeting tomorrow at Manchester United, um, allegedly, where they will make the final vote. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens there. But realistically speaking, it's not looking good at Manchester United and at Old Trafford as well. And um, Jay, this is where I get to speak to you about your ownership as well at Everton Football Club because you've had a lot... You're In a way, like Man United, you've had a lot of big money signings, big money managers come into it and it hasn't really worked out and you've had to go back to basics as well. So just from your perspective as an Everton fan, how have you found that having to chop and change managers all the time? You had protests last season, you had fans going up to people's cars, especially Jeremy Mina, if I remember correctly, unless that was you in the video as well, Jay. Um, but let that me was your, not me, no. You were just recording it there, you were fine, <laughs> which is good. But I just want to know your thoughts from your perspective on how Everton's kind of being run because you've gone from Carlo Ancelotti, you've had Marco Silva, you had a great time under Roberto Martinez as well, but it's kind of gone um, wayward um, for you as well, but... How have you found it recently under Sean Dyche? To be honest, under Sean Dyche or the ownership, it, 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 they are honestly two separate things. Um, the ownership, without sounding dramatic, of runners into the ground. The Listen, there's, you know, Farhad Mishiri has put money into every football club. There's no doubt about that. Whether he's been lied to about where who to trust with that money, that's something that we probably will never find out. Um, he's kept the man on that's far far past his sell-by date in Belkin, right? Yeah, he was great. You know, he'd done well for Everton Football Club when he originally come in. Steadied the ship, found us our billionaire and just stayed on. Just stayed a little bit too long. We we actually say this on our podcast. It's it's like sort of selling your house to someone and they go, okay, but I'm still sleeping in the main bedroom. It'd be a mm. bit like, well, you're not. You know, you're, you're out. I'm buying a house off you. Um... And it just hasn't worked. I've got to be honest, it really hasn't, as you can see in the football side of it. Just chop and change your manager is just so bad. I mean, Travis can probably, we can all probably say that apart from uh, from, the, from Arsenal, really, that, you know, it, it's 
just not good. It just doesn't work. It genuinely doesn't work. Now, we always go back to the, the Arsenal game when we played you, uh, Matt, sorry, when Arteta was in one stand and Ancelotti was in the other. I think we got the wrong one. I know you probably say he's got the right one, but it's them types of decisions. We went for Ancelotti because it was Carlo Ancelotti instead of going for Michael Arteta, who was an up-and-coming manager who knew everything inside out. Again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but I don't know if they got the right man now. I don't know what the right man is for, what jobs he meant to do. Is it keeping us in the Premier League? Yeah, then Sean Dyche is the right man. It's just, yeah. I don't think, I think a lot of people have sort of gone, whatever now. Yeah, it's, cool. it's like, whatever, just do what you want. It's crazy with Everton because you're looking at it and you're just like, some season they're going to be challenging for Europe. Some season they look like they could be beating Liverpool away. Some season they could be fighting relegation. And it's, it happens like year in, year out. You just never know what Everton you're getting as well. And um, unfortunately for, for, our, for our point of view as well, it goes to show that's going to continue happening again and again and again for both Manchester United and Everton respectively. Because sometimes you can't always blame it on the manager and it is on the ownership because that's where the culture is set. The culture is set from the, um, the ownership and that's where some players just don't want to be there as well. You'll see players there for the money and you'll see them not really wanting to give it all um, for them as well. And it's just it's just really frustrating for match-going fans as well, um, which ain't great at all. But nah, nice to go through on that one with you, Jay, as well. Now it's time to head to North London because both Arsenal and Tottenham are flying this season. And unfortunately, Matt, your neighbours are also on par with you, but not just on par. I think they're top of the table, Matt. So after your impressive winner against Man City... Um, last week as well. Is it is it really time to think as Spurs as title challengers before we get Travis involved in this? Um, no, um, I think Travis will agree as well. Um, and that's not... That's he's not, he's not agreeing. He's not agreeing. He's shaking. <laughs> Travis definitely... No, I agree. I 100% agree. I'll get into it in a sec, but yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And it's not, and it's not a hating it. It's not a hating thing. I feel like they've had a good start, you know, good form with Romero, the goalkeeper's come and done well. But you look at um, the fixtures, I think they I can't remember how many of the bottom six they've played, but there's a few of them they've played, Luton, Sheffield United, whatever. So don't come January, it. come January. Don't we'll say it, Matt. Don't say our name. No, I didn't. <laughs> CJ, see what I did? <laughs> but no, but you know what? I think, yeah, I think they're, they're doing all right. But yeah, I we all kind of know um, that not that I don't think they're going to fall off like people think, oh, Spursy. But I do feel like they won't be near the top two come the end of the season. I really don't. Yeah, and Travis, you were talking to me earlier this, not this week or last week, you were talking about how you think Spurs are playing some of the best football you've ever seen and some of the best football in the Premier League this season as well. And um, I believe you've got some a couple of stats here to back that up as well in terms of when you are watching Tottenham play, they have drastically changed over the summer with their new manager um, as well. So let me hear a couple of those stats um, from your point of view. Yeah, more than a couple, to be fair. You, you asked me in the build-up to... As long as, you don't mention, as long as you don't mention XG, I'm fine with it, so it's all good. <laughs> okay, I'll leave that out then. Um, but yeah, you asked me in the build-up to this whether we were playing better football than, than Man City. And I kind of laughed it off at first until I looked into it. And um, I'll just read you off a little bit of a list of some of the stats that Spurs rank first in in the Premier League this season. So we're first for shots, uh, shots on target, key passes, passes inside the box, progressive passes, touches inside the box, dribbles, progressive carries, carries into the box and a uh, number of times fouled as well, which just shows how attacking our football is this season, how much intent we're showing against every opponent. I know Matt mentioned that we've played 
mostly teams around the bottom. And that is true. Obviously, we've played Luton, Burnley, Sheffield United, but we have also played Arsenal. We've played Liverpool. And I think... Robbery against Liverpool. We won't get into it too much, but I, I think in both of those games, genuinely... Robbery against uh, Man United as well. I'll get into uh, it. Yeah, I forgot we played Man United as well. But in okay, in those three games against those three big teams, I do think we were the better team in every game, or at least you could argue that we were, which is a really, really good sign. Um, I do agree with what Matt was saying and that we won't challenge for the title this season. Um, what will kill us this season is squad depth. We've got a fantastic first 11, apart from Richarlison, where everyone is playing in fantastic form. But as soon as one player drops out of that team, it's it's going to be a disaster. I mean, Romero and Van der Ven look like they've been playing together for a decade. But as soon as one of them drops out of the team, Eric Dyer's coming in. And that that is not going to be, you know, big a fan of big Eric. Defense. Big big fan of him. One of England's greatest ever moments included Eric Dyer. So show your boys some respect there, Travis. He's coming in for that first team position. Too. Yeah, look, I've got a lot of respect for Eric Dyer. Um over the last few years he's been a really important player for us especially when we had Jose in charge he was for me when Jose was in charge for a while he was England's best centre-back and he was unfortunate not to be picked more often but the last kind of 12 months have just absolutely shot his confidence um don't know whether that's Conte you, you know you might say that he would play a bit better in a post-Coglu system. He's very, very good on the ball, to be fair, which he didn't get to showcase very often under Jose or Conte. But I just think when you've got two centre-backs who are the calibre of Romero and uh, Van der Ven, if you then drop off to Eric Dyer, it's a big problem. The, the other problem we're going to have is, is in January when the African Cup of Nations kicks off because right now our midfield three is Basuma, Saar and Madison. And two thirds of that midfield is going to be going off to the uh, African Cup of Nations. So, is Madison it'll... Egyptian? <laughs> I bet. Um, I bet he wishes he was. So he but he's got a secret. He's got a secret Nigerian passport as well. He's just like, oh yeah, I'll go represent Nigeria as well, which would be crazy. I never knew. I never knew Basuma was from. He's from Guinea, isn't he? At Mali, I think. Mali, that's it. I thought yeah. it was French. That's my bad. Um, yeah, yeah. And Sars Senegalese. So yeah, those two are going to be at the African Cup of Nations, and again, we then drop down to um, Hoiberg and Skip, who are very capable players, but not anywhere near the level. Benton Core will be back by then, which is a big plus. But even so, I think that that's what it'll be. It'll be squad depth um, that, that will stop us from challenging, definitely. definitely. So, Travis, quick one. Sorry, Travis. Uh, does Son go... Is the Asian Cup as well, no? I'm sure. Um, the Asian Cup's... When is that? Uh, don't think it's this year. I feel like I would know if it was this year, yeah, but I do I think we... they're usually in sort of January, February yeah, time, I mean, aren't they? Yeah, we lose Tomiyasu, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's this year, but if it is, then yeah, yeah we've got basically two months <laughs> of the season that we're just going to write off. If we lose <laughs> Basuma, Saar and Son all in one go, we may as well just not play for a couple of months and uh, yeah. save the legs, I think. Forfeit games 3-0 like on FIFA, just in case yeah, exactly. rage quick, <laughs> just in case. But yeah, Matt, we'll get back into your topic of Arsenal later on when you're going to be talking to us about your preview against Chelsea and how big this um, London rival actually is going forward um, with Chelsea faltering and Arsenal going back on top as well, respectively. Um, but yeah, before we get on to my scout hams, I think it's the best time to get into our 
version of start bench so this weekend harry kane once again scored yesterday a very very good goal in the second half he scored two goals yesterday which was great um and he is out and out the all-time leading goal scorer for england and has been since the start of this year when they played italy i think in march um which is great to see um but i had the opportunity to go to wembley on friday to watch england versus australia it was a great experience and i got to speak to a lot of different fans on camera and off camera as well about some of their favorite players and a lot of people spoke about Michael Owen being one of their favorite ever players and a lot of people in my generation have spoke about Wayne Rooney so I figured it would be best to get a variety of people in and I didn't def- I definitely didn't invite Jay on um, here because he's a former Ever- um, former Everton player Wayne Rooney but let's get into it start bench sell Wayne Rooney Michael Owen Harry Kane this is going to be a fun one for the England edition as well so Matt, I'm going to let you go first with your start bench so of Harry Kane, Michael Owen and Wayne Rooney. Let's hear it, my friend. Oh, again, sorry, Travis. <laughs> um, I'll start Rooney for me. Um, I, I, I love Rooney. I talk, think, to me, talk, know, talk to me about him. What was what made him so special as an English striker? Do you know what? As soon as someone says Rooney for England, I just remember that game. Oh, um, was it Portugal when they had that silver Euros ball and he was just everywhere. Croatia. Croatia, you're bossing it. Like, he was absolutely phenomenal. And I saw him, I was like, we've never had a player like this. I can't remember seeing someone play so aggressively, could finish, pass, everything. And just everything about him, I love Rune. Even you take it to club level as well, and now he took over. For me, number one, um, I'd start him. Kane, nothing bad to say about Harry Kane. He's quality. It's just, I think Rooney was just a, a bit better for me. Just a bit better. Forget the goal scored. I know you broke the record, Kane, but... Yeah, Rooney over that. And Owen, we all remember Argentina, that goal. Fantastic goal. Um, and yeah, he was quality as well. I think, unfortunately, the bl- the injuries blighted him. And that's what I kind of remember. With. I really want to say, yeah, for England, he did this and that. But the injuries did really hamper him. So yeah, I'd sell Michael Owen. You sell Michael Owen, you'd bench Harry Kane and you'd start Wayne Rooney, just Wayne to be Rooney. confirmed yeah. that as well. Um, before we get on to Jay's prediction, I wanted to kind of ask you with Michael Owen, did he have a a career where everything happened too soon for him? Because we've seen that with a few England players as well. And they, they then become injury-ridden players. Like, for example, Deli Ali's a big injury-ridden player as well. We've seen Owen Hargreaves, Daniel Sturridge. Um, a lot of these players, they, when they start as wonder kids for England, they have so much pressure put on them so soon and they then don't last their full career, which is quite, mm. quite exhausting, really. What's your thoughts on that, Matt? Do you know what? With him, I don't think it's too soon. I just feel that when he did that Real Madrid move, for me, that's when I was kind of like, mm. like I just had that feeling just wasn't going to be You're off. not David Beckham, you're Michael Owen, stay in Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because look, even, even Steve McManaman went and I had a bit of doubts, but then he scored that goal against Valencia. You Champions know I mean? League final. Yeah, Champions League final. So I saw that with him. With Owen, it was a bit sad. And then we saw the move to Stoke and then Newcastle and it was just like... Man seeing- United... Man United, he did all right there. Yeah, but yeah, he scored a goal when in Fergie time. But we don't want to get into that right now. Um, it's a good goal. <laughs> but he scored yeah, a hat trick no. against Wolfsburg as well in oh, Champions yes, he League. Did. He did, but yeah, like yeah, just think with him, the injuries did really, really hamper him. And great career, you know. Oh, he's one of the first. I think at that age, he's one of the first ones I saw at that age who just took the world by storm, and everyone was talking about him. You know what I mean? So yeah, good player, but yeah, unfortunate with the injuries. Yeah, it's true. Jay, let's hear it. Start bench, so Michael Owen, Harry Kane, Wayne Rooney. Let me hear your Everton perspective on this. Um, start Wayne Rooney all day, every day. Bench Harry Kane and sell the other one. 
the other one, the one that could have oh. gone to Everton but didn't go. He went to the red side of Merseyside. He went, yeah, he was actually a, uh, an Evertonian as a kid. His dad played for Everton, by the way. My That's crazy. Dad. Um, yeah. Talk to me. Talk to me about Wayne Rooney being an Everton fan as well, how he burst onto the scene and what he really meant to you as an Evertonian, then coming back after a stint at Manchester United as well. Um, you can see how much he meant by when he left. It just broke all our hearts. I know Matt was talking about the Croatia game and I think everyone watched that game buzzing, but knowing that he was gone, as soon as he scored them two goals, it was like, yeah, we can't keep hold of this kid. It's just it's just impossible for us to do it. Um he was just phenomenal, honest to God. His goal against Arsenal when he'd done that at 16, we knew. There's a story that Tony Value says where he was warming up and you think, who is this kid? Honest to God. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he actually gave an interview recently on uh, an Everton channel and said he, he he knew he was too good for the Everton team when he broke into it. Yeah, he, he, looked, he looked at Kevin Campbell and Duncan Ferguson and he was like, yeah, I'm better than you already. Yeah, yeah so I you remember. Can't, you, you, can't keep, you can't keep older players like that, unfortunately, but... Honestly, it was just like wow. He, he was just wow. He was the he's the best Everton player I've seen. Mm. Would you say he's the, a lot like. Would you say he's the best England player you've ever seen? Yeah, yeah. I think what you said before about players getting pressure piled onto them. I know we did a lot. I know obviously he broke the, the record that Harry Kane's broke, but I think Mooney can fall into that category. You know, when they had that Euros in two thousand and four, where we thought we're going to win this with this kid. Mm. And then he got, um, got stamped on his injury. Yeah. And then mm. I just, I just think the pressure got to him because it was so sort of every tournament we went to, it was like, Oh, we've got Wayne Rooney. We've got Wayne Rooney. And the play, them players never stepped up to his level. So then made him look even worse. And I think I remember we were saying it's, it's all right when your own fans are booing you. It's a good impression that, isn't it? Um, yeah. Perfect accent for it. <laughs> it's, that's just the pressure of Wayne Rooney. He was just a winner. He was a born winner. And I think he's probably looking around at these players and going, these aren't good enough to play with me. They weren't on uh, his level at the Euros, unfortunately. No. Probably Frank Lampard, I would say, and Ashley Cole, and that was it. Frank Lampard chipped in the goals, but the rest yeah. of them kind of faltered. Beckham missing a penalty against France when we were 1-0 up as well. That was embarrassing because we could have yeah. won that one earlier as well. But no, nicely done there, Jay, with that one. Just a few people who have got some Got some good quotes on Wayne Rooney for this one. So one quote is from Lionel Messi, where he says, there's always been a great deal of respect between myself and Wayne Rooney. For me, he's the greatest English player of the generation. What he is capable of doing on the field is very special. And he's one of the few players that would improve any squad in Europe. And when Lionel Messi says that, that's cold about Wayne Rooney. Um, but yeah, Travis, start bench cell, Harry Kane, Wayne Rooney, Michael Owen. Let me hear your thoughts. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm going to, just repeat what the other guys have said pretty much. Um, I would sell Michael Owen, um, nothing against him particularly, but I think he burned very brightly, very briefly. And I think what is so impressive about, well, Kane and Rooney, but Rooney in particular was uh, longevity at the top level. Uh, and Owen, yeah, just didn't really have that. Like Matt said, once he went to Real Madrid, he was pretty much finished after that, unfortunately. Um, I would... I would say, uh, sorry, I would bench Harry Kane. Um, I would That's love a to big say, That's yeah, a big I, I would love to say I would start him, but it's Rooney, isn't it? He, he's the best England player of the generation by a mile. Um, one of the best players I've ever watched play football. You know, he was in his prime when I was a kid, really. And I think those players that you watch when you're a kid that really 
strike fear into your heart when you watch them. They're the ones that you really, really remember. And that was Rooney. Um, it's like watching you at football on Sunday evenings, Travis. It's crazy. That, that yeah, overhead kick you can do is insane. He's learned a few things from me, Rooney, as to be fair. So, uh, yeah, a lot of similarities between the way me and Wayne play. But, We've spoken um, about um, Wayne Rooney's best moments in English shirt, but can you name one of your favourite Harry Kane moments in English shirt as well, just from another perspective? Um, obviously, when he broke the record, that was that was a, a lovely moment. Um, doing that while while being a Spurs player, that was that was really cool. Um, probably my favourite moment would be when he actually made his debut. I think it was against Luxembourg, and obviously, as a Spurs fan, it, it was it was during that first sort of breakout season for him where everyone was calling him, you know, one season wonder and he was going to drop off and all this sort of stuff. And to see him come onto the pitch with everybody doubting him. And I think he scored within about 60 seconds or something stupid like that. And, uh, and just proved everyone wrong. And I just remember seeing him come off the bench and I was so hopeful that he was going to not even necessarily get a goal, but just play well. And, uh, and like I say, he, he exceeded every expectation that even I had when he took to the pitch for England for the first time. If you'd have said to me then, he'll be England's all-time top goal scorer. Um, I think he's now also top all-time top goal scorer for England in tournaments as well. Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't have believed you, but yeah, he's he's just he's phenomenal. But he's not Rooney. Not bad for a one-season wonder, as they called Harry Kane once upon a time um, as well, which is great. Uh, my start bench, so uh, I'm going to sell. Harry Kane, yes, I am. I'm going to bench Michael Owen, mainly because he got the Ballon d'Or in 2001. And when you see Michael Owen and what he did to that England team beforehand, he benched the golden generations of England strikers. He benched Alan Shearer, Les Ferdinand, he benched Robbie Fowler. He was insane. He benched Andy Cole as well, which is insane. Ian Wright. Man, Ian Wright got benched by Michael Owen. Do you know how crazy that sounds when you say it out loud? It's insane, man. Uh, but yeah, Michael Owen, he is the definition of a wonder kid. He is someone where when he burst onto the scene for England, not just um, in the qualifications, but obviously in the World Cup in 1998, he was outrageous. And I think he's one of the victims of English football because with English football, when you see someone so shiny, so lovely, so amazing, so unbelievable to watch, you just want to see him all the time. You want to then market him all the time. He had his own TV show as well. Um, not the one where he scored past the 13 Europe. He had his own TV show, but it's quite cool that um, that happened as well. But with Michael Owen, unfortunately, he never reached the heights he could have for international career or for Liverpool. He won the treble with Liverpool, which is great to see. But I think Michael Owen had a generation of people just following him and it was crazy to see. And I think the fact that he's the last English player to win the Ballon d'Or and we have had Rooney, we have had loads of amazing players. I think Bellingham might be the next one on target to reach Ballon d'Or levels for England, but Michael Owen was crazy because he beat out R9, he beat out Figo, he beat out Rivaldo, which was crazy for the Ballon d'Or. He beat out Thierry Henry as well, which goes to show the talent that Michael Owen really had uh, back in the day as well. And obviously, I'm going to start Wayne Rooney, one of England's best ever players, and the fact that Wayne Rooney um, had his record broken by Harry Kane I, I quite like the fact that Harry Kane has gone on and above for Wayne Rooney now because it goes to show that Harry Kane can actually lead them one step further than Wayne Rooney being a team full of individuals like they were back in 2004, 2006, 2008 when they didn't even qualify for the Euros. Harry Kane has been, personally for me, 
England's perfect captain. And I will say perfect captain because he's led the team from the front. He's spoken a lot about racist issues and social issues and the fact that he backs his players 100%. I really like to see that in Harry Kane, respectively. And I think he's been a better captain than Wayne Rooney, respectively. So I do want to see Harry Kane hit the 100 goal mark for England before he retires. And hopefully he has that longevity in him to become that 100 goal um, player. We've seen players like Lukaku reach the record goal scorer, Ronaldo, Messi. Harry Kane is at the top already, but I want to see him go further and further and further um, in that discussion as well, which would be great. But yeah, Michael Owen bench. Matt, talk to me. How do you feel that Michael Owen benched Ian Wright, your childhood hero as an English striker? Do you know what? You know, when, the way you broke it down like that is so true in terms of the strikers that he kept out. And just that list in general, like if you, you know, for those that have watched football for a while, you think those are some strikers and a half. <laughs> you big know names, I mean? big personalities. Massive names and personalities. So, yeah, that's credit to Michael Owen. And then, yeah, Ian Wright, listen, that's not going to change how I feel about Ian Wright, man. <laughs> I love right. the guy, so doesn't matter who it is. Nah, don't blame you, it's all good. But no, nicely done there, everyone, with this week's start bench. So, um, yeah, let's crack on to Scout Hams. So Scout Hams is where everyone, well, if you don't know already, so where I get to talk about a young player across European football and I get to give these guys a break from talking, which is quite nice. So for the next minute or so, I'm going to be talking to you about a left back for the Netherlands whose name I can't pronounce. So bear with me, everyone listening. Quillinditchy Hartman. Quillinditchy Hartman is a left back for Feyenoord who's had a really good start to the season so far for Feyenoord and he made his Netherlands debut this year. He actually scored in a 2-1 defeat um, against France and is actually turning up for Feyenoord after being Tyrone Molassi's replacement. And from what I've seen of Hartman so far, he actually looks better than Tyrone Molassi. And I know I'm a Man United fan, but it's crazy to actually think that the replacement for a player is actually better than the actual player. But yeah, he's 21 years old, he's a pacey left winger, he's got a lot of tenacity about him as well. And I expect to see more from him in the Champions League. He had a decent game against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, but ultimately final lost uh, the better team on the day to Atletico Madrid. And he's already got three assists in eight appearances so far in the Eredivisie as well. And we know Eric Ten Hag is a big fan of uh, scouting young players from the Netherlands. So maybe Eric Ten Hag, you may have to give final the call just in case you want to go for another left back because all of our left backs are injured right now. So maybe you need one in... Um, in January. But what I found most impressive about Hartman is he had to deal with Kingsley Coman and Antoine Griezmann on the same night. It, granted, they lost 2-1, but I think he had a decent performance in that game. Yeah. Um, let me try and pronounce his name. Pronounce the name. Quillindishi Hartman. Left back, final. Watch out for him. You will enjoy watching him in the Champions League and for Netherlands for this season as well, which will be great. Jay, talk to me. It's Premier League player focus. This is why you're here. I need to know about your new striker, Beto. The new striker, Beto, signed from Udinese after scoring double, getting into double figures last season in Serie A. He's now coming to um, the Premier League. It's a tougher league. He may not be first choice with Dominic Calvert-Lewin in and out of the side, respectively. But how does he fit your system? How does Sean Dyke get the best out, best out of the Brazilian international? Let me hear your thoughts on Beto. Um, I th- he was brought in because he was a, a mould of Calvert-Lewin. He was a tall mobile centre forward who could hold the ball up yeah granted he's probably coming at the time where Calvin Lewin's now injury free uh, touch with that he stays injury free but it's fantastic to have someone on the bench we've seen glimpses of him obviously he come, he started against uh, he come on against Doncaster Rovers and got his goal we were all raving about him then we had to realise respectively it was Doncaster Rovers Um but he's played well in games as well now obviously Calvin Lewin has been starting but when he's coming on he, he 
we don't change the way we play. We, we had Neil Mopai up front. You could see us sort of struggling to find another rhythm, another style. When Beto comes on, it's just the same. Same rhythm, same sort of same balls being played because he is the same type of player as Calvin Lewin. Uh, I, I do think Calvin Lewin's better than him. I've got to be honest, I do. Um, but Beto is very, he's very explosive. He, he reminds me, he reminds me a little bit of like a, I, 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 I always forget the name, but like a Darwin Nunes. And I, I know people are going to say, Ooh. why are you saying that? Mm. But a very, in front of goal, he re, he's very like he snatches at things, and I think once he gets that first goal, he's away. Honestly, I think once he gets that first goal in the Premier League, he settles everything down. He's got the goal under his belt. He's away because he's he's fast as well. By the way, he's six foot four, but he's very very quick, and I think you're going to see a lot of Beto coming on sixty minutes if Calvin Lewin does. Unfortunately, but Calvin Lewin does and gets injured. Fantastic. There'd be no. We won't be panicking because we'll go, yeah, you know what? Come on then. This is why we bought you for 26 million or whatever it was. You know, go and score the goals we we're expecting you to score. Nicely done. Good analysis there and better. And maybe he will score his first goal. Unfortunately, it always tends to happen against Manchester United. They always love a, a debut against Man United from these new strikers from Syria, especially. Now we're off to West Ham United. And Travis, you're going to talk to us about Mohamed Kudus, who has basically lit up West Ham so far this season. He scored a lot in the Europa League as well, respectively. He had a pretty good game um, against Newcastle United, if I remember correctly, as well. Scored three goals and eight appearances for um, the Hammers. And West Ham have basically been taken over by Ghanaian fever. Um, Matt, you'll correct me on the correct terminology later on. Hopefully I'll get it right. Actually, I'm not going to even mention that. I don't want to say it wrong. Um, but yeah, Ghanaian Fever has basically taken over West Ham United. They love him at West Ham. And the fact that they still don't know where his best position is goes to show how talented this boy is, Travis, because he can play as an attacking midfielder like we saw at Ajax. He can play as a striker like we saw for Ghana at the World Cup. And he can play on the wing as well. But from what you've seen and heard of uh, Mohamed Kudu so far in the Premier League for West Ham, Travis, what's impressed you the most um, from your London rivals? Uh, yeah, your, your London rivals' new player. I think what's impressed me most, um, I, I would have said your vers- his versatility had you not just mentioned it, but I think the way that he's settled so quickly. Um, people are talking a lot this season about Liverpool's new midfield and how they've you know had a complete new look midfield, all of new signings, but not many people are mentioning that West Ham have had to do the same thing. Declan Rice has gone. They've then signed, obviously, Kudos, who we're talking about now, James Ward-Prowse and uh, Edson Alvarez. And that is a completely new midfield trio. And to come into a new club in a different country in a much tougher league than he was playing in before, where respectfully as well, he played for the most dominant team in that league. And now he's gone to um, one of the not so dominant teams in a newer, tougher league. To have all those circumstances and to still come in and, and hit the ground running like he has done with three goals in eight games is very, very impressive. And there's not many players who can come to the Premier League and just make an instant impact, especially from um, Holland as well, because the step up is just so high. Yeah, with Mohamed Kudus as well, Matt, I'm going to bring you in on this uh, this one as well. When you see someone who's so, so versatile and so fast and so aggressive with his play, you, you would normally forget about it. A lot of people would forget about how technical he is on the ball, how he can dribble with the ball, how he can take on a defender from a standing position as well. Have you seen a profile of player like Mohamed Kudu so far in the Premier League? And if we have, 
Um, we kind of need more of it personally because I love watching him play and I think it's going to be a fantastic addition to the Premier League going forward this season. What do you think, Matt? Do you know what? I don't think there is because if you look at even in the World Cup, how would they play them up top and the left plays in the 10 and uh, right wing as well? I don't think there's many that can do all of them positions. And that Travis said in terms of the way he's come over and he's just, he's been seamless. And I watched the goal against uh, was it Newcastle the other day and you can see the quality he's brought to that team. And listen, like you said, the Ghanaian fever um, is just going to go from strength to strength, mate. Because yeah, he's a phenomenal player. And I don't, yeah, don't think there's many in the Prem like him. And I feel like he's going to get better as the as the games go on. Yeah, unfortunately for West Ham fans, a lot of their players then get linked to bigger clubs, respectively, as well. So maybe Mohamed Kudus can stick under the radar because you never really see it anymore when you see. Someone who's so good at dribbling consistently mm. on both sides of the foot as well because he can go outside and inside from the left yeah. foot. And that's what really impresses me about Mohamed Kuz, the fact that he can do it both at international level mm. and he can do it at club level. And like Travis said, he's settled into the Premier League really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I'm expecting more from Mohamed Kuz this season as well. Mm-hmm. Um, great stuff there with Premier League um, Player Watch. Now we're on to our final section of the podcast where we get to preview not three games this week. We've got four because we've got two special guests on, one from the Northwest and one from the North of London. I'm going to assume from your North London, Arsenal. Yeah, respect. <laughs> Actually, though, they're playing in Stamford Bridge. But um, Jay, take it away. Merseyside Derby. We've got key battles to talk about. We've got key performers to talk about. We've got top scorers to talk about. And we've got key suspensions and injuries. So um, Everton Football Club, what are we expecting from them against Liverpool in the Merseyside Derby um, this weekend at Saturday? Uh, lunchtime. What were we thinking, Jay? A battle. Um, make it a, a, as, as hard for Liverpool to play as, as possible. I think we've done that for many years. I think I've probably seen Everton go try and go toe-to-toe with Liverpool a couple of times and just fold. Um, Sean Dyche will make it hard. We know that. He does that at home anyway, but I think at Anfield they make it especially hard. If you'd offered me a draw, I'd take it. You know, I think... People forget it. You're talking about one of the best teams in the country in Liverpool, unfortunately. So you've got to take, I take a draw at City, I take a draw at Arsenal, Tottenham, Man United. So we've got to put them in the same bracket. Um, I just don't want them to beat us. <laughs> it's so, honestly, this City stops the week of um, of the Merseyside derby. People don't talk to each other. People don't look at each other. Even though they've been best mates the week before, they're no longer friends it's until Sunday at 8 o'clock it, it, it's honestly it's it's gone less now because the golfing quality and the golfing sort of competitiveness you know you've got Man City and Man United who were up there ours isn't as big table wise but it'll never lose its fire within the city and what it means to the people of this like of this city Nicely done. Good analogy there. And Travis, I'm going to bring you in for this one as well. Do you see any key battles in this game from Liverpool side and from Everton side respectively? And where do you think the game's going to be won or lost um, for the Merseyside derby this weekend, Travis? Yeah, I think um, Jay's absolutely spot on when he says that uh, Everton have got to make it a fight. They've got to make it a battle. If they go toe-to-toe with Liverpool, um, respectfully, they'll get absolutely dominated. Um, And one of the key battles I looked at sort of coming off the back of that point was um, Beto, if he does start up against Van Dijk. Um, I think Van Dijk in the last couple of seasons hasn't been at his usual level. And I think usually the times where he's not looked at his best, 
are when players are making him uncomfortable. I think we saw that with Isak um, up against him for Newcastle earlier this season. Um, he kept just getting in behind him, obviously ended up getting him sent off as well. Um, I think Beto could have a big role to play in this game if he can just stay on Van Dijk, keep harassing him, keep harrying him, make him uncomfortable, try and just force a mistake out of him. Um, like I say, we've seen in the last couple of years, he has got a mistake in him now. He's got a red card in him, which he never really had before. Um, I think he could be massive in this game, Beto. And what a way to get your first Premier League goal, by the way. If he got his first goal away at Anfield against the biggest rivals, wow, that would just be... It's the stuff dreams are made of, isn't it? Scoring your first goal for your new club against the biggest rivals. There'd be nothing better, really. There'd yeah. be a statue built, Travis, I can imagine. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree, yeah. Yeah, it'd be great to see, because I think with Beto's extra pace compared to Calvert-Lewin as well, he can dominate in the air as well as um, Calvert-Lewin, respectively, but he's going to have a different test against... Um, Matip suspended, isn't he? Or is he? No, he's not suspended. He should be back by that. Matip and Van Dijk would look like first-choice centre-back, or maybe Konate plays, but that would be a really good battle as well. And uh, Matt, I'm going to come over to you now. We spoke about... Um, well, Jay spoke about how Liverpool are one of the best teams in the country. Right now, is Mohamed Salah in the top three players in the Premier League this season? Again, scoring goals for fun. Five goals already this season. And the fact that no one really talks about him anymore. He's suffering from his own success, which is quite crazy to think about, isn't it? Isn't it, Matt? Yeah, do you know what? I think with Salah, what is, we're so used to just every week seeing him score, 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 score. Now he's just added the assist part. And I think for him, he's just gone, do you know what? I've scored enough now. Let me just go over there, assist a couple. And he's just, he's a phenomenal player. I feel like even now, I'm sure all of us, when you come up against Liverpool and he's starting, you just think, oh, if he's on his day, it's a horrible day for us. Like, quality, quality player. Yeah, sometimes you need like two left backs just to deal with Mohamed Salah mm-hmm. as well, um, which would be great to see. But yeah, looking forward to this game as well. I'm going to go straight to the, we don't really do score predictions here. So we're, mm-hmm. we're going to, because by the time this podcast comes out, the score will be out the next day anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, hopefully Everton win and hopefully get, Beto gets a goal and then Travis gets to say, I'm the Oracle once again. Because every time there's a prediction, right, we always say, yeah, I'm the Oracle, like it's the Matrix, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, Matt, you're up. Chelsea versus Arsenal. There is a big London derby coming up this weekend. Chelsea are faltering this season after spending another £400 million in the summer. They've spent on so many young players, investing in a big project going forward. And everyone's saying, oh yeah, it's going to work out eventually. But actually, when you look at Chelsea, three, four years ago, under Frank Lampard, they spent loads of money on young players across Europe as well. Like sort of Ziyech, um, Havertz, Werner, they sold a lot of their academy players like Tomori. They were out the, the club respectively. They've done it all over again. And it's looking like the fact that a lot of these players have to work out for Chelsea. But with Arsenal, with the way that they're playing, especially their win against Manchester City, are you going into this game at Stamford Bridge feeling confident, especially after last season and actually shushing up um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang as well? What's your thoughts, Matt? Well, first of all, that Aubameyang one was funny. <laughs> Nothing personal. I never Nothing personal. <laughs> <laughs> but um, do you know what? I think what is it's a bit tricky because Chelsea did pick up towards like the international break. So I'm kind of hoping that the international break come at a time where the momentum has been knocked, you know. But I do feel confident. I think if we've got a fully fit team, and I've literally was checking today, I don't think we've got any injuries going into that one. Whilst I think there's concern over Reese James for them. I think what about Bakayo Saka? Is he going to be back in the squad for it? They're saying he had two injuries. So I think they said it was a knee and a hamstring issue. Ooh. 
So, which, yeah, not looking good. But I I still think without him, we should still be good enough to beat them. And that's not disrespecting Chelsea. I just feel like we've now assembled a squad where we've got great great players in every position, about two in every position. And the signing of Rice has just made me com- more confident in games like this. You know, I used to go into games with Shaka and Partey in midfield going, oh, God forbid. <laughs> but red card now, incoming. Red card or something, you know. But now with Rice there, now if we play Rice, Partey and Odegaard, I really can't see how we lose the game. Yeah, I mean, Travis, we spoke about previously about how Harry Kane was a £100 million bargain. And you said, could that be a bargain? And I said, Harry Kane at £100 million is a bargain. Would you then say Declan Rice is a £100 million bargain? And are you looking forward to his um, midfield battle going forward? Because Enzo Fernandez has been one of the brightest sparks um, for Chelsea, but they've also got a £100 million Moises Saicedo. So Moises Saicedo versus Declan Rice this weekend. What's your thoughts on that, Travis? And obviously the Declan Rice £100 million question. So two there for you. Yeah, I um, I'm gonna have to disagree with you again. I just I just don't think there can be any such thing as a 100 million pound bargain. Makes no sense to me. Um, but I see where you're coming from. Rice Lionel Messi's in. deal to MLS to into Miami that will be a that'll be a bargain. I mean, if you signed a prime Messi for 100 million, that would be a 100 million bargain. But it'd need to be at that level of player for 100 million to be a bargain for anyone. I think that's true. Um, but yeah, just coming back to your question, yeah, as. As much as I hate to say it, because I'm really not a fan of Declan Rice, um, he has been transformative for Arsenal this season. And he's given me, not belief, that's the wrong word, because I don't want to believe in it, but he's he's given me this idea that Arsenal might win the league this season. Um, I don't think... Bold I'm, claim from Travis, I'm yeah, looking forward I, to that. I, I'd love to say that they'll be miles off it, but look, they were really, really close to City last season. I think City have gone down a level since last season. But they they always do that though. They look like they've gone down with their new signings, getting used to the system, getting used to the pep. And then by the time February comes, fifth gear comes on and they just turbocharge the league as they always do. Yeah, you're quite right. It, it, it does feel like we probably say this at the start of every season, you know, the first sort of 10 games, all City don't look quite right. And they're always one or two points off the top of the league. So, you know, a not quite right City is obviously still a very good City team. But yeah, I just think last season, Arsenal didn't quite have that composure to go and actually win those massive games. Last season, Arsenal wouldn't have won that City game last week. Just just wouldn't have happened. But having the influence of someone like Declan Rice in there, who, again, as much as I hate to say it, is a very natural leader, um, Things went against them. Kovacic should have been sent off. Obviously, David Rea looked really shaky in the first half. It's the game where last season they'd have just gone under. But when you've got someone who's as capable a leader as Declan Rice, um, he just keeps those heads calm and cool. And that's exactly what happened. And they went off and won the game. And yeah, that makes me think they might win the league. But obviously, you asked me as well about Caicedo versus Rice. Um Caicedo is going to have to find his big boy pants this weekend. He has not been brilliant since Chelsea signed him. It's a big, big transfer fee. Mm. And to have, I think it's extra pressure for him anyway, the transfer fee, but it's even more pressure on top of that, that he's going to be playing against another £100 midfield, sorry, £100 million midfielder who has been the complete opposite end of the spectrum. He's been fantastic this season. So yeah, massive pressure on Caicedo. And playing with an £80 million centre midfielder in Enzo Fernandez next to him as well. So that's a very expensive midfield battle um, going on this weekend in London. Before we move on to the next game, 
Um, Jay, let me hear your thoughts on Mikel Arteta. You spoke earlier about hindsight's a wonderful thing. You went for the tried and trusted Carlo Ancelotti. Unfortunately, that didn't work out for you. You could have gone for Mikel Arteta. What have you enjoyed personally from watching Arsenal from an objective point of view? What have you enjoyed about Arteta's style of play? Have you enjoyed the way that he rotates his goalkeepers, his style of play with his attackers, his midfielders, anything? Let me hear your thoughts on Mikel Arteta um, from an Everton perspective as well, Jay. Yeah, I think he's he's brought Arsenal back to Arsenal. Um, I remember being a kid watching Arsenal, and I think we all could say we loved watching them. The Invincible team. Hell no, I did not enjoy watching that Arsenal team at all. They were my nightmare. That was crazy. It's like watching the Australian cricket team just batter everyone, and Arsenal were doing that week in week out. So now nah, I, I, I'm not part of that um, claim as well. But no, carry on, Jay. I don't you, you you were fighting with them. We could just watch from afar. It's true. Um, but you could you could see he brought that sort of winning mentality back to the, to Arsenal. He's brought that like it always felt sorry about this map, but it always felt Arsenal sort of made excuses every time they lost, and it was always like a oh we lost because of this, we lost because of that. He's sort of taken that away and gone. Well, I'm not after excuses. I'm asking you to go and win the next one. Don't go on a three four game winning uh, losing streak of excuses. Lose one, win the next three. Uh, and for Arsenal, is is massive. He's been under the guidance of Pep Guardiola. Let's no, let's have it right. He's learned from the best, so he's took a massive job on as well. The Arsenal Arsenal Football Club manager is one of the biggest jobs in the world. So for him to step into that domain and own it, it's just massive credit to him and Arsenal for sticking with him. Because there was a time, obviously, a couple of seasons ago, where it wasn't working out and. There was calls. I don't know whether Matt was one of these that it was Arteta out and stuff. Matt like was that. on Arsenal fan TV. He was like, Arteta out, get him out. Let's bring in someone new. Let's bring in Allegri. <laughs> Actually, Matt, I don't want to. I don't. Wanna, I don't want to be sued for libel. Were you? Were you part of that brigade or not? Arteta out or Arteta in? I was very. I'm not gonna lie. I was very close to Arteta after that bad start. I was, but I, I did say if we finish top four or close to it, I'll give him one more year. And then he did what he did. So. Yeah, cut him some slack. <laughs> fair, fair. Now, nah, good analysis there, uh, Jay, on Mikel Arteta. And that's what I keep saying to everyone about Man United and Ericsson Hogg. You can't keep chopping and changing your manager because sometimes they look so close to getting their right style of play with missing a, t- a player or two. And then they just get sacked and you have to start all over again with a new style of play, a new identity, new players, everything. So the fact that Mikel Arteta has done that complete overhaul, I'd probably say around 80 90% is his team now as well. So it goes to show. He's nearly there getting the players that he really wants into the side as well. Um, I'm still not a big fan of how he rotates his goalkeepers. I still think Ramsdale's much better than David Raya. Before we go into the next game, man, let me hear your thoughts. Come on. Ramsdale or, da- or David Raya, who should really be the number one goalkeeper for Arsenal? And is it a power play by Mikel Arteta to, to Aaron Ramsdale for this goalkeeper rotation thing? Do you know what? I hear what people say about Ramsdale and Jay, sorry to say this. I've said this in a lot of my podcasts. You can go and share Ramsdale's a good keeper, but he reminds me of Pickford in the sense of sometimes in a game he allows, he gets so drawn and passionate with it. And sometimes I think unsettles the defence. And that's not to say he's a, you know, he's a good shot stopper, and, but he can't come and claim the ball. Raya does that a lot more. And there are big games. I look at the Allisons, I look at the Edisons, and sometimes you need a keeper that can take the pressure off the defence. Look at last season when we drew to Southampton. You look at the West Ham game, you need your big keeper to really you know, win you them games and get you the three points. And he did let himself down a bit. I just, what I don't agree with is I feel he should have played 
the first Champions League game, at least. I feel that would have been a nice way to say, you know what, you helped us get here last season, play the game. Because we were never going to lose to PSV, let's be honest. Um, and then obviously... You probably having... said that about Lens as well. You probably <laughs> would have said that about Lens. I, I, until I saw, I think, was it yourself? Someone spoke about, is it Wahi? Oh, was it Wahi? Yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I saw him, I went, uh-oh, <laughs> this guy looks decent and look what happened. And then you joined our live stream for that week. Yeah. That, was quite, that, was, that was a fun week for me and you, uh, which is good. Um, but any other thoughts on Ramsdale and David Wright before we move on to the next game? No, nah, do you know what? I do, I, I'm concerned and I feel like I was reading an interview today and Raya was talking about how he wants to make it a permanent move because for those that don't know, it is alone. Mm. Um, but I, I do what I was saying though, I feel if Arsenal want to get to the next level, I feel like we need better than Raya. I think he's a good goalkeeper, but he's not that game-changing goalkeeper. He, he will just get you nearly winning the league. If you want league, Champions League, we need better than that. But as it stands, we didn't really need him, but I think it's to fill the homegrown quota, isn't it? Can you take Andre Onana, please and thank you? Uh, you can You can take him. You, you guys are him. right with him, you know? <laughs> we don't even want to play Tom Heaton instead. We've got to play Andre Onana, which is crazy. What about, the, you've got a young uh, goalkeeper, isn't it, as well? Yeah, we've got a new yeah. Turkish goalkeeper from Galatasaray. He's yet to play, which is crazy. So I don't even know if he's going to get a game under Ericsson Hall, respectively. But yeah, um, on to the next one. We're off to sunny Spain now. And Travis, I'm coming to you because... We're going to Seville versus Real Madrid. Seville with the old leader, Sergio Ramos, back in every week football now, as opposed to being a bit part player at PSG. He is back and he's going to be taking on one of the best players in world football right now. He's facing off against his old team and the new leader in the team, Jude Bellingham. This is going to be a cracking game in La Liga to watch. So, um, yeah, Jay and Matt, if you don't know, we're obviously obsessed with European football on here as well. So we're going to be talking about this a lot in detail as well. But Travis, talk to me. Let me hear your thoughts on if Jude Bellingham is actually the best player in La Liga, not just the best player in La Liga, the best player in the world right now. Let me hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think I said to you um, earlier today or yesterday that I do think Bellingham's the best player in the world just on current form right now. Um, he's just got a little bit of everything about his game. Doesn't seem to really have a weakness. And since he joined Real Madrid, he's just taken that that famous shirt and just absolutely run with it. There's not many players that go into a much higher pressure situation than they were in previously. And just thrive but yeah he he, he does it and uh, it'll be interesting to see if Ramos can keep him quiet this week maybe 10 years ago Ramos would have been able to keep him quiet but you would have bullied I, him yeah he might not have the legs for it anymore yeah it's true and Matt I'm going to come to you because Seville are looking pretty decent so far in European football and in um, La Liga as well there's a player I want to talk to you about basically because I think Arsenal would really look like a, like a team that should be get, go for the striker. Yusuf Nasiri, the Moroccan striker, is doing quite well for um, Sevilla so far this season. Three goals in, in the league or in all competition. No, Yusuf Nasiri scored three goals this season, including an almost winning goal against PSV Eindhoven um, in the Champions League. You've got Sevilla coming up in the Champions League, so this should be a game that you should be watching with great intent. But I need to talk to you about Yusuf Nasiri. He is a big target man, six foot three, Moroccan international. He killed out the World Cup for Morocco to go all the way in the semi-finals. He was the one that brought that broke Portuguese hearts and especially Cristiano Ronaldo's heart in that quarterfinal, that leaping, towering header. Does he look like a striker that you could potentially go in for as opposed to someone like an Ivan Tony or a Tammy Abraham, for example, someone who could add a plan B element as opposed to Eddie Nketiah and Gabriel Jesus? Let me hear your thoughts on Yusuf Nasiri, Matt. 
Um, I would have said yes, but players like Maro and Shamak have scarred me. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, so I oh, would that came out of nowhere. So I would that, that Moroccan PTSD has just ruined you. I don't it's blame you. So. Ruined me. But do you know what? With LSA, it's funny because up until even before the World Cup, I saw a couple of games of his, and I said, I don't remember the last time I've been I saw someone with such a leap. Mm. Like he jumps so far off the ground, it's incredible. And he, I think for I think West Ham were linked with him um, as well. It would have been a great move for them. I, I don't think. Now, for us, I'm looking at more. I'm an Osman fan. That's where I'm mm. heading to. So, um, but no, he is quality, and I am ner- very, very nervous going uh, to play them um, in the Champions League next week. And like you guys, I do watch a lot of European football, and this is a game where I'm like, let's see what Real Madrid can do here. And Ramos against his old club, can't wait for it. Definitely. And Jay, just surround us off on Sevilla versus Real Madrid. Do you think there's any more opportunities for Real Madrid to actually compete against Barcelona? besides the season because they're looking like the team on form Barcelona have got a couple of injuries as well with Lewandowski already out for a couple of weeks as well a few players here and there um, respectively from your thoughts and from what you've seen from Spanish football as well Jay do you think this is Real Madrid's time to get back into becoming La Liga champions do you think they've got it in them to go all the way um, this season in domestic football oh yeah 100% um, I think you're talking about uh, as Travis has said the best player in the world with possibly one of the best managers ever. You agree with that statement as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I actually read something on Twitter and I got sent it that it's, he's got Champions League football with a championship mindset where he just doesn't give up. There's no sort of, I'm not at Real Madrid, he's just running. He's still at Birmingham in his eyes and he's just playing football because he loves it. It is so well placed. I think he could do with a centre forward. Um I think Real Madrid could do I know Rodrigo's been playing there I think he come out and said he doesn't like playing there I don't know whether that's a yeah rumor. Um, no he said that yesterday after the Brazil game as well because I think he went back to his natural position and Neymar got injured for Brazil so he, he said that publicly so that's going to be something that Carlo Ancelotti will have to deal with um, yeah. respectively when he goes back as well um but yeah, in terms of Carlo Ancelotti, you can see what he's done at Real Madrid for a second stint after going back to Everton. And when you saw him at Everton as well, did you think he was ever going to go back into a big name role as well like he did at Real Madrid? Or do you think Everton's kind of broke him, really? What was your thoughts on that? Oh, Hamza, we should never have had Carlo Ancelotti. <laughs> it was like um, it was like a homeless man winning the lottery. It was just <laughs> like, wow. We knew as soon as the, the, the job come available to Real Madrid, we can't keep hold of him, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but we sent him we sent him there to win the Champions League against Liverpool. That's what we sent him there for. And he, and he did that. Tactical genius there. That's, that's exactly why we sent him. So, no, he, he's, he's the best manager I've seen at Everton, I've got to be honest. Just purely for the plays he had and the tune he got out of them. I think we went on like a six, seven game winning streak with Andre Gomez and Tom Davis playing in midfield. It was the things he'd do. You're just like, wow, you were saying there about Ramsdale um, and the emotion, stuff like that. I know Newcastle fans give Jordan Pickford a lot of stick. He took him out at home. He just said, right, Begovic, you're going in goal. He just took the emotion completely out of the game. And to see a football manager do that, we were all sort of shocked, like, this fella knows what he's doing. And Begovic had the game of his life and he's just like, yeah, he's a real, real football manager. So he's in the right place, Carlo Ancelotti. He's home where he deserves to be. What I'd say just quickly about um, Ancelotti at Everton is it reminds me of when when you're a bit younger and you've got, you know, 
one girl that you're talking to just while you're waiting for the other one to become available. If uh, if that analogy makes sense for you, good boys at all. But it always felt you're like a, you're was... you're a bad influence, Travis. Jay's <laughs> an innocent man. Don't do this to him. No, honestly, Travis, you're right. Um, me at the time, well, my girlfriend was like, "What's wrong?" And the only way I could sort of explain it was like, it's like a guy with no, he's got, he's got all right money and he's got an all right house having this fantastic, amazing model girlfriend. And then a footballer comes along. It's just... Andrew Tate comes along in his, in his Bugatti. What yeah, colour is your you Bugatti? Just, exactly. You just go, see ya. You just open the door for her and go, see you later then. Yeah, I, I, I know the feeling because we've had it very, very recently with, with Conte to a very different outcome though so the, the difference with Everton was you know Ancelotti was there probably always thought he was too good for Everton and was going to jump at the first chance to go but he showed that he was too good to be at Everton really had you top of the league for a little bit I think as well didn't he yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the difference with Conte was he didn't like being at Tottenham thought he was too good for him but he wasn't showing that he he was just letting that um, mentality just ruin his his quality as a manager so yeah I know exactly how it feels because we, we've just had it very recently to be fair Conte's linked with the Napoli job as well which is crazy to think about as well because yeah he's Napoli, been twerking for Napoli recently he just wants Italy back again but he can't <laughs> yeah. have it it's crazy so it's going to go for an Italian club which is going to be fun for uh, Victor Oshman playing in a 3-5-2 system and is going to be tracking back all the time fun times ahead for Napoli fans um, but yeah nicely done everyone on the Sevilla Real Madrid game final game to talk about this week is in Italy as we were speaking about Antonio Conte, we're actually talking about AC Milan versus Juventus. And Matt, this is a big, big game in Italy. This is incredible because there has been a betting scandal this week. There's been doping scandals. There's been injuries for Juventus all over the park. And it's been embarrassing for them. We spoke about Juventus a couple of weeks ago with our friend um, Chris from the Footy Culture. Shout out to you in Canada, in Toronto. Great um, Juventus fans talk about Juventus with but they every time they take a step forward they take three steps back just like with Man United Fagioli is now going to be suspended through betting offences blaming Sandro Tonali um, the <laughs> Newcastle players that he might be out for a year as well their main striker Dusan Vlahovic and Federico Chiesa their three-five-two system de- was dependent on these two strikers and they're not there anymore because they're injured for this game how can Juventus actually win this game do you think there's a key battle in here where you think you know what they can actually take on Fikir tomorrow. They can actually take on um, Kostic on, on the left wing as well. What's your thoughts on this game, Matt? Do you know what? I think where Juventus might win it is the fact that Manyan, I think he's suspended for this one. Um, mm. he's got, I think he got sent off in the last one where Giroud had to do heroics, just saying ex-Arsenal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, you know what? And Juve haven't beaten Milan in the last five as well. So for me, I don't see anything other than an AC Milan victory. With Juventus, I look at them now, you just... You don't know what you're going to get, really. And like you said, uh, steps forward, steps back. And I'm honestly looking at a comfortable AC Milan win, like literally 3-0. And just, just want to say as well, what I like about AC now as well, they have a freshness. I know a lot of people laughed at when they signed Loftus-Cheek, Pulisic and all that. But I looked here and went, that's quite nice to see, you know. And I really think they've got something good going. I don't think anyone's going to beat them to the league. I think it's their title. That's a crazy claim as well. And Jay, I'm going to ask you about Sandro Tonali and I want to kind of know your opinion. Do you think AC Milan actually knew Sandro Tonali was betting and had a gambling addiction? That's why they sold him so quickly this summer um, and then just washed their hands of him as well because now he potentially could not play for Newcastle United. Their new number eight midfielder, their new 
all playing midfielder couldn't play for a whole year now because of this betting scandal. Do you think AC Milan knew about that, Jay? You'd like to think they knew something, yeah. You wouldn't just let your one of your best players leave like that um, yeah. without there being something else. Whether they knew it was to the depth that it was, we don't know. But it's amazing Milan and a massive football club that'll always recover. They always will. Um, but did they know? Yeah, I think they did. I've got to be honest. I do. I do think they did. They just went, yeah, get him out the door, get as much money as we can, and we'll rebuild with a few players that Matt mentioned. Yeah, it's the fact that they actually rebuilt in, like kind of West Ham did when they got rid of Declan Rice for a lot of money. They rebuilt in different positions that they needed to as well. And mm-hmm. Travis, I'm going to come to you for this one as well because AC Milan's top scorer this season is Christian Pulisic, and he's not burst onto the scene in Milan. He's not been one of the top performers because Rafael Liao is still holding down that left-wing position, um, respectively. Is there, is there now a time for Christian Pulisic to now settle into life in um, Milan? Because for the USA, he didn't really do that well against Germany. I think they won yesterday in, in their game as well, respectively. But is this now the time for Christian Pulisic to take on Serie A? Can he take on this Juventus defence? Can he take on Mas- Maximiliano Allegri's Juventus as well? And I want to hear your thoughts on Christian Pulisic especially um, so far, Travis. Yeah, I think looking at Pulisic, the way that he's played since he has gone to um, Milan, he looks someone who has almost been set free a little bit. Um, at Chelsea, he seemed to get a run of games, play well for a little bit. He'd have one bad game and then he'd be out of the team or he'd have an injury and then he'd be out of the team. And he never really clicked under any of the managers that he played under. But at Milan, he's gone there. He's instantly, I'd say, one of the highest quality players in their squad. And he's still very young. He's still got time to realise that potential that everybody saw at Dortmund. And I think Milan is probably the perfect place for him to do it. It's a big enough club where he can feel the responsibility of that shirt on his back, but it's not too big of a club in terms of the squad quality where he's going to feel lost like he did at Chelsea. Um, what I would say is I completely agree with Matt. I, I don't see anything but a Milan win this week. I think it's going to be between them and, and, and Inter for the title this season for me. Um, and Juventus... Even if Conte comes into Napoli... Uh, if Conte comes into Napoli that'll just confirm for me even more that it's going to be Milan versus Inter um, they're already uh, seven points off Milan Napoli so they've got a long way to come back but yeah just quickly on Juventus as well what a disgrace of a football club at the moment it just seems to be scandal after scandal after scandal you had all the stuff um, last season with the the whole board resigning, I think, at one point. Mm. We saw a little bit of it at Tottenham with Paratici getting the worldwide football ban. And then just as that started to die down, oh, they got kicked out of European football as well, didn't they? And just yeah. after that Minor issue to, for them. They weren't going to do anything as well. Which is good even so, it's it's for a club like that to not be in Europe is, is, is crazy. But yeah, just as that dies down, you have all the stuff with Pogba and doping and that sort of thing. And then that dies down. And now you've got Fagioli... Um, or Fagioli, sorry, pronouncing his name wrong, um, with the betting scandal, immediately thrown his international teammate under the bus. Just as soon as it came out, he's like, yeah, Alton Ali's fault, nothing to do with me. Absolutely mad. He introduced me to betting. He took yeah, me literally. to the casino. That's yeah. what it was. He's just been using my bank card. I've had nothing to do with it. Oh, it, he's used my, de- yeah. he used my data. That's what he was doing. He needed the it, money. It's a crazy football club. But yeah, I think that the mood at the two clubs could not be more different. Juventus, like I say, scandal after scandal after scandal. Whereas Milan, at the top of the league, they've only lost one game. 
They've got their striker playing in goal and looking like the best goalkeeper in the world. It, it's a good feeling at Milan right now and it's good to see because you like to see these historic clubs with, with, with all the sort of history and aura about them. You like to see them doing well, really. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you're looking at it and then you're thinking like, They've rebuilt slowly but surely under Stefan Pioli as well. But um, just to round off this topic of conversation, Jay, I'm coming to you. Moise Kayan, former Everton player after leaving Juventus, now is back at Juventus. Are we going to see him have a remondata in a way? Is he going to have a comeback, kind of like Christian Pulisic? And with um, Dusan Vlahovic injured out as well, can we expect more game time for um, Moise Kayan um, this season for Juventus as well, respectively? And can, no, it's not can we, but do you think there's going to be a player in there? Because we've seen at PSG, we kind of saw it at Everton, but we've slowly seen it now at Juventus. Uh, I think it's hard to judge him on the time uh, at us. We had so many new managers, it was... Just it was a crazy, it was a circus. Well, it still is a circus, but it, he was in the middle of the circus when he mm. when he was at Everton. Um, we we made money on him, which I was shocked at. Um, but he is definitely a player in there. I just don't want him to turn into a, a Balotelli. It's also got like that where his attitude become big, bigger than his footballing ability, and as soon as that happens. I mean, when you then get subbed on at Old Trafford to try and win the game, and then get subbed off in the same game. That that kind of ruined it for me because you kind of side with the player because he wasn't injured at the time and I was at the game as well, respectively. So I was just like, is he injured? Is he walking down the touchline? No, it's just going on the bench because I think Duncan Ferguson wanted to waste some time. Um, so I can understand from that point of view, like he never really had the backing at Everton, respectively. And there's always results, results, results driven, but no one really gave him that time at Everton from what I can see personally, but it may be different for you. No, 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 he never. Um, he was very unlucky at Everton as well because... He's, the goal he did score was it against Newcastle um, I know when Ancelotti come in he, he said oh I tried to sign him when I was at Napoli and stuff like that so we all thought oh here we go you know this is this is his kickstart now where your managers come in that tried to sign you for his previous club this is where you're going to shine and he didn't so is it his attitude we don't know um, he just didn't click he just again I was the same before about Beto I by the way, I'd like to apologise because I, I, I compare Beto to Darwin Nunes and I shouldn't have done that. I forgot who actually wanted to compare in, them to. It's staying in the edit. It's staying <laughs> in the edit. Who are you comparing him to then? It That's was it. actually the, when um, Lukaku signed for Everton from West Brom. The, the first one, the lone one. Just yeah. that explosiveness and just bullying past players. I just couldn't think of it. But yeah, it's not Darwin Nunes. Nowhere near him. It's better than him. Um, Already. Yeah, but Moise Keane again, he's got that, he had that something to him, he just couldn't find it, he just literally couldn't unlock it and hopefully he does unlock it at Juventus because yeah, he's a player in there. Yeah, nicely done there as well. And nicely done there everyone for our match week preview as well for this weekend's games coming up, or the main three, the main four games coming up, this will be great. Uh, but yeah, everyone, thank you very much for listening, it's been a great podcast to have this weekend to get back into it as well. Next week I think we've got um, a Champions League themed one as well so stick around for that one next week as well before we wrap up Jay just tell everyone from our audience where they can find you and what you've got planned for this season and then Matt you can go straight after Jay as well respectively yeah you can find us on Twitter Instagram TikTok uh, we've got a link tree it's the Paddock Blues podcast and um, we're just an Everton podcast just basically about for Evertonians about Everton and um, we do match reactions we do match previews we try and do a match vlog every now and then and bring it Are all you going on Saturday? No, no. There's a couple of us going, but I wasn't. I wasn't lucky enough to get a ticket. I wouldn't step foot in that place anyway, mate. Um, I don't blame you. 
I remember <laughs> driving past it once. I was like, yeah, I'm not getting out. Just just carry on. Go to yeah. the Blue Stadium instead, which went That's too bad. Better, you'll get treated better than you did anyway. The, the real reason I went to Goodison Park instead was because it was in Creed. Um, so I got to go and I was like, oh, yeah, they filmed Creed here. Not because of um, it was Wayne Rooney's former stadium. But yeah, it's because of a film reference I needed. So sorry about that. No, uh, no, it, it, it's nice that someone actually travels to Goodison and just doesn't stop at Anfield. Um, but you can find us everywhere and honestly if you you know if you're an Evertonian or just a football fan who want to, wants to have a laugh and listen to Evertonians moaning for 32 games of the season then by all means come and find us and give us a listen nicely done good plug there and Matt by all means I'm expecting you I'm putting this on to you Matt because you've been um, listing so many different all-star teams on your Instagram page I need you to do our England teams for us Matt I need you to to lay out our England four free free formations that we've got as well uh, but yeah just tell us a bit more about what you've got coming up uh, for the next couple of months on on your podcast as well and where everyone can find you so yeah you can you guys can find me on twitter instagram as a tiktok as well uh back of the net podcast um i think on twitter you've got to do the abbreviation b-o-t-n as i've got on my title here yeah i just do general previews reviews and i'll try and do like general premier league so i'll try and cover all the teams unless it's a dull game like a Luton Sheffield united or maybe a man united um, <laughs> we're not dull yeah. for the for objective time because everyone just likes laughing at us so it's, it's fine in that respect but yeah no, I do reviews and yeah like Jay was saying I'm going to be trying to do some vlogs myself um, there's a couple of games I'm going to try and get to do some uh, pre-match ones and post-match and yeah just tune in follow share everyone nicely done I'm going to enjoy that as well respectively especially if Arsenal play in the Champions League and you're off to that that'll be a very good experience and Travis once again nicely done there my friend good to have you on the podcast as always um, quick one before we wrap up who's finishing higher this season Arsenal or Tottenham you said Arsenal title challenge so I want to hear your thoughts now yeah, I, would, I, I would say Arsenal um, I think it'll be top two for Arsenal top four for us nicely done nicely done but yeah everyone thank you very much for listening do find us on our social medias as you normally do do get involved in the comments and the chat as you normally do it's been great to have it this week as well do watch our match day vlog for England versus Australia which is great fun and we had some very special guests join us um, in that as well but yeah everyone thank you very much for your time take care and we'll see you next week peace